But in that moment, I realized I could actually make decisions about who I was and who I wanted to be. And I did. So Empowered Educator was born because I felt a calling. I saw a gap in not just my experiences, but what I've observed over the course of my career of what educators needed and what the school system needed and what our kids need so much. And they need people who are awake, who are conscious, who are making decisions from a place of alignment and not tradition or fear. And that really gets my tail wagon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of season three of Get Carried Away. I am your host, Carrie Murray, and joining me today is Jen Rafferty, empowered educator, just teacher lover, lover of learning, all the things. I'm so excited to have her here today because as everyone knows, I'm a former educator and principal. So to talk shop again, warms my heart. Welcome, Jen, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I do want to start. I ask everyone this at the beginning and your answer might be true, but let's see if we were to go back in time and I were to ask 11 year old Jen, what she wanted to be when she grew up, would she have said an empowered educator? No, 11 year old Jen would have said a music teacher. I actually wanted to be a music teacher pretty much my entire childhood. That was my calling. I thought I would do that for the rest of my life. Music like an instrument or singing? What kind or all so of it? So I, I was a music teacher for most of my career. I was a choir teacher and taught general music and actually taught modern bands for my high school. I started a modern band program where kids learned how to play electric guitar and bass and keys and drum set. So that was also super fun. But yeah, I just wanted to teach music and share music and really tap into people's inherent talent and their musical ability, which I know not everyone thinks that they'd have, but they do and empower them to, to share that with the world. That was really what I wanted to do. And I still empower people to discover their voice, but in a slightly different way now. Love that. So are you a singer or do you play an instrument? What kind of music is your jam? So yes to both. I actually studied classical singing in choir. I In college, I was a music performance, vocal performance major in college, in addition to music education. And so, yeah, I was classically trained. I was Broadway buff for most of my childhood because I lived right outside of New York City. And yeah, I was a singer. And so when I got to teaching, that's really when I kind of expanded my ability to play some instruments. But you can see I have my piano behind me over here. I've got my guitar over here. So music is still very much a part of my life. Okay. My next question. Broadway dream role. What would it be? <laughs> oh God. Gary, maybe you have so more many. than one. I know. No, but maybe your top three. I, what, yeah, what, what no, would be I do your have, Broadway dream role. Yeah. No, I definitely do have more than one, but I will tell you my absolute most like favorite Broadway role that I would play in my dream world would actually be mother from ragtime. Ah. I love ragtime and that is like her range, like her songs are in the pocket of what I absolutely love to sing. So yeah, I bust out ragtime a lot at my piano and I, I sing the mother songs for sure. Love it. I love it. I don't know if I ever told you my daughter's in a musical theater conservatory in high school. In fact, on our way to school today, we were singing company and we were trying to do our best Patty Lapone. Oh, I would have loved to have heard that. <laughs> yeah, it was. She's much better than me, but I'm just like, ladies who lunch. It's just like, yes. oh, it's such a good song. Oh my oh, god, so good. well, I could talk Broadway with you forever. Gosh, what was the last musical you saw? Now I really need to know. <laughs> <laughs> so actually. 
the last musical that I saw was Seussical, but it wasn't on Broadway because, you know, now I live in the middle of New York State, so I don't get down to the city often enough. Although the next musical I'm going to see is going to be Nico Druber's musical, which is Millennials Are Killing Musicals in May. I'll be heading down to the city for that. But and yes. you're going to see me there. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yes, yeah. I'm, so excited. And I'm, I'm bringing my daughter and my mom. We're all going. Amazing. Fact, my kids are coming too. Oh, see, it's going to yeah. be great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited. And we also are, we're going to try to throw in two other shows and it happens to be my daughter's 16th birthday and my mom's 70th birthday. So we're making it and it's mother's day weekend, I think. So it's like, we're making it a whole big thing. So, so now everyone knows where we're going to be. Yes. In May. yes. So good. So <laughs> everyone, good. please go see millennials are killing musicals. I'm very much looking forward to that. That's so exciting. Nico was at women on the rice too. Oh, um, I know. I saw all the pictures and had all the FOMO. Yeah. Oh, you're coming next year. I get it. I get oh, it. Oh, okay. definitely. So this is what we happens. We get carried away and I love it. Oh, I could talk about, I could have a whole podcast on musicals. We'll just have to create our own podcast, Jen. Definitely. Um, we'll put a pin in that one. Exactly. Because <laughs> we have so much time. Okay. So back, back to you're in college, you're studying musical theory, musical education, you leave. What, what happens next for you in your journey? Oh, well, I got a job pretty much right away because, you know, I, was just fortunate. Something kind of fell into my lap and I taught mostly middle school, actually choir and general music for my career. I loved it. I love middle school. They are just, you know, a growing mess of hormones and emotions, and they are going through such profound changes. I was fascinated about adolescent brain development. So at the very beginning of my career, you know, I, I was, I was really good at what I did. And in college, everyone was like, you know, you're great, Jen, you're natural at this. This is something you, you know, you're meant to do. I get into my classroom for the first time, middle school. And I just remember feeling so unprepared. And I was like really angry about that because I was like, wait a second. I thought I was really good at this. I thought this was something that I, I studied so hard. I got A's and everything. You know, why am I feeling so unprepared? And what I realized was I had no idea who my kids were, which is why I really started diving into cognitive neurodevelopment for adolescent kids, which I mean, sounds super nerdy, but I just, I get carried away about that, Carrie. <laughs> I really just thought if we understood more about our brains, we could just be better teachers and that really led me down a path to create new programming that were res that was responsive to kids instead of just kind of projecting what I thought I knew about them. And so the programs became really robust and integrated in the fabric of the school ecosystem, which was really, really neat. And so, yeah, I kind of, you know, did had a couple leadership positions here and there as I was going through my career of, of leading teams. I led my music department for a number of years. And then, you know, COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that kind of shifted everything for me, for sure. You know? Wow. You know, and when I, you're absolutely right. There isn't, there isn't a lot of cognitive development courses you take in undergrad or graduate. At least I didn't. We had the, nope. the developmental one where we learned about Piaget and all of that, which PS, he studied white boys and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's that too, right? We don't mention that in the textbook, but all yes. the mm -hmm. child development of it all. But what I feel like the focus is, well, it was here in California, our, you know, teacher education program is behavior. Like they really want to modify behavior and really, they don't really go into the cognitive development of that. They really want to see like, how, okay, this is how they're behaving. How can we modify that? How can we change that? And it really, 
really kind of bothered me because similar to you, we never really talked about the roots of that. You know, where did this come from? How did this behavior develop? I also taught middle school, sixth grade math and science. And I was fascinated too, by how their little brains work. And then when I would go to supervise teachers that are in kindergarten, I was like, oh, these brains are completely different. Right. But it was, we never talked about it. It was all about behavior therapy and behavior theory and and all of those. What's that guy's name? Bloom? No, Bloom was taxonomy. Well, there's Skinner. He's he's the one Pavlov. Yeah, Pavlov and Skinner. Skinner. I'm fully in my PhD program right now. So (laughs) I've got all all the theories for you. But yeah, and then they say, well, Maslow before Bloom. And of course, you know, Bloom is the, you know, high order thinking and Maslow is about more social emotional safety. But even that's changing right now. And, And the thing is, you know, yes, there's obviously incredible merit to these theories, but we are living in a very different world right now. And so, you know, we need to look at not just what's happening in the present moment and what's happened in the past, but who do we want to be? Who do we want to be as educators? And who do we want our kids to be in a future that doesn't exist yet? We have no idea what that's going to look like. And so forward thinking in a system that is still built the same way structurally as it has been for the last hundred some odd years is a really interesting contrast that's going on in school systems today. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, when the school systems, you know, you know, not to get too in the weeds about this, but when it was school, everyone, just so you know, when the school system was first created back in the early 1900s, it was very much a factory model, right? You know, mm-hmm. and you were put in by age, not like where you were developmentally. Like I can read at four. I don't want to read till seven, but if you were five, you're going in this grade. And it was like turning them in and turning them out. And I still see that today. And it blows my mind that this kind of factory model still is in place, even though we have second language learners, we have kids with special needs, learning excellence, and then learning difficulties and just all these different cultures and languages and everything. And they're still like, go to second grade, you're six years old. It's what are your, what are your thoughts on this model that we have? Are you going to change it all for us, Jen? Please fix it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the, the big answer to your question is I hope so. But but the way that I'm going about this is very much through the back door, Carrie. The, you know, love it. That's that's my mission here is to really understand or ex- have people understand their own abilities, their own limitations, their own emotional well-being, their own agency in everything they do so they then can feel empowered to become a new level, a new version, an authentic, expressive version of themselves, you know, whatever, however you want to say this. So they can then make decisions because what's happening now is everybody's activated all of the time. And you know, the way our brains work is when we're feeling just perpetual stress and overwhelm, the part of our brain that we need to solve problems is literally off. We, we can't access it. It doesn't work that way. Fight, flight, or freeze. You don't have to problem solve or like be creative when you're running from a bear. So right. What I do is I teach people strategies to get in touch with what's happening right now, physically, mentally, emotionally, who do I want to be and how do I bridge that gap? Because when we get to like that other side, that's when we can start actually having some very important conversations of, well, how do we want schools to look? How do, yeah. you know, are they really reflective of the world right now? But we can't even start to have these conversations because we're so activated and we're so rooted in this old tradition that is literally coming from another century, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. another millennia. Right. So, yeah. you know, and of course, Diana, they get this phrase from her. She says, traditions are just peer pressure from dead people. 
And that's really how Amen. I feel about, right, what's happening in, in school systems. So this yeah. is about just waking up to who you are, who you want to be and acting accordingly. Gotcha. And so when you the pandemic did hit, what did you do? How did you pivot? What was your like, I, I got to do something bigger, better, brighter? Yeah. So the skinny of it is that right before the pandemic in 2019 in, in December, I published my book. And two weeks later, my husband and I decided we were going to get a divorce. And I moved Busy out month. of my... <laughs> oh, it was busy. It was, it was a busy month. And so I moved out of the house with my kids who were five and seven at the time. The weekend, the world shut down in March of 2020. So that was kind of Com a big weekend for me. Complicated. Mm -hmm. complicated. And so, you know, in addition to all the other things everyone was experiencing, I was also now going through this divorce alone. Right. I mean, you remember we were oh, yeah. hugged by mother, you know, my sister yeah. was going to fly up from Miami and come help me move. None, none of it happened. I was literally alone with my feelings. Wow. And yeah. Wow. Indeed. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that ended up becoming a catalyst for me, which I, I wasn't quite aware of. And, you know, looking back on it, I can see it that way now, but it was a moment where everything kind of settled in a way that I was everything I was the day before I was now not those things anymore. And I had to really mm -hmm. reconcile that. So I decided to stay home and homeschool my kids that fall, which I thought was just going to be a semester. Started my we PhD. All did. Right. Yeah. It was just going to be a semester. It's going to be super couple easy. Weeks. Right. Yeah. A couple weeks. So I started my PhD in educational psychology. I became a certified emotional intelligence practitioner. And then when it became time for me to make a decision about going back to work, you know, my mind was telling me, of course, Jen, this is what you, been doing your whole life. You've wanted to do this since you were a little girl. You wrote a book about it. You know, this is your calling. But my body, Carrie, was just screaming at me. Mm -hmm. There's something else for you. There's yeah. something else. And so I listened to that. I wrote my resignation letter, felt amazing. And then four days later, it was a sobby mess on my couch. <laughs> You. But, you know, I, I had these beautiful moments along the way, one of which was my first class when I took my my college course. Um, the professor says to, to you, everyone, you know, introduce yourself. And everybody was introducing themselves by their relationship to their spouse, their relationship mm -hmm. to their job or the relationship to their kids. And while, you know, I was oh, wow. obviously still a mom, I love being a mom. I didn't want to lead with that. And I was literally like, who am I? I don't know who I am. <laughs> But in that moment, I realized I could actually make decisions about who I was and who I wanted to be. And I did. So Empowered Educator was born because I felt a calling. I saw a gap in not just my experiences, but what I've observed over the course of my career of what educators needed and what the school system needed and what our kids need so much. And they need people who are awake, who are conscious, who are making decisions from a place of alignment and not tradition or fear. And that really gets my tail wagon. I get carried away about that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've already come up with two other podcasts. We have to, now we got to have a Broadway podcast and a future, future educators podcast. Yes. <laughs> so much work. <laughs> so what, did you have an aha moment when this all kind of, did you have that moment that was kind of like, I got to do this. Like I got to, I got to leave this. Or was it like a slow trickle of ahas that kind of led you to it? I think it was both. I think it's sometimes, I think it's mostly always both because I think these light bulb moments come when there's a culmination of these little shifts that happen in your life. And then all of a sudden things are just ready for them to reveal itself. Right. And I remember it was, I was 
sobbing on my couch thinking, what did I just do? I just left my career that I've, everything I've ever known, you know, now I'm a single parent. I'm going into business now. What is, what is this? And I was talking with a friend of mine, we were just texting back and forth and he owned his own business and we were talking about his business. And he had said something that just struck me. He was just like, well, you know, I like to build things. And in that moment, I was like, I like to build things. Actually, I love to build things. And you know what? I'm actually really good at building things. And I'll tell you, Carrie, the next day that morning, I sat at my computer and Empowered Educator just flew out of my fingers onto my computer, like my keyboard. I was doing like a Google Doc thing and it really hasn't changed all that much. And yeah, it was just one of those light bulb moments that I think came when it was ready to come and I was open to it. So that's yeah. really, really powerful because that is actually the definition of being empowered, right? You have this light bulb moment, you want to do this major download and you didn't get in your own way with yes. imposter syndrome, with all these like, oh, I got to do the laundry, all these things that we purposely put in our way, but you just stream of conscious, just put it on out there. I love that. Don't fight the, the inner the inner voice, right? Our intuition is leading you to that. That's incredible. Yeah. So from that major download, that you had when were you like say <laughs> was it pretty soon thereafter <laughs> say that again you cut out after oh, the sorry, I was gonna say after that this major download stream of consciousness when were you like okay I need a website oh, I need to monetize yeah. this okay so yeah that's a great question so because so at that point in my career like towards the end of when I was teaching I was I was all over the place, Carrie. Like I was changing the way people thought about music education also because it's very archaic. And so I actually had a platform and an audience and I was presenting and sharing my book and I was conducting pretty much all across New York state at that point and, and presenting in conferences nationally. So I, I was really fortunate that when I decided to make this pivot, I already had a solid audience who knew me, who knew the integrity of my work, who understood what my mission was, which, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, when I was in the music classroom, it was really to empower people to discover their voice. And that clarity in my mission helped me make this pivot really easily because I wasn't doing anything different. Just the how I was doing it, it was mm-hmm. different. So I stayed true to, to that mission. And there were a lot of beautiful things that happened in the middle, but I never lost my way because that that was my light. That was the beacon. So I had I had all the stuff already. And so that piece of it was actually a lot easier than I think you know, it, it might be for other people kind of diving into entrepreneurship in that way. Right. My toe in. My toe was yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't you feel like even being a classroom teacher, you're kind of running a business. You've got, pe- yeah. <laughs> if you yes. think about a classroom, you got to have structures and systems in place so people can access materials and do all the things. You're going to have your, you know, clients that are very much on time and follow through. And then you're going to have the clients that are being like, what? Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you said that because I think if more educators thought of themselves as CEOs of their classrooms, there would be even more of this feeling of empowerment, you know, that, that I think a lot of educators, teachers, especially administrators are kind of in a a different category with this, but they pigeonhole themselves and their skill sets. But the truth is you're totally right. They're all running they're all running a business in their classroom. And I know that there's this weird taboo of like, we don't want to talk about business and education, but we're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't actually talk about it this way. Are they exact parallels? 
No, no but there are yeah. very important lessons that can be and should be learned from that arena that I think get ignored. So I'm I'm actually really, I'm really glad that you said that because that is yeah. spot on. The charter school I worked at, the overarching, you know, academic theme was entrepreneurship. Mm. So it was just kind of embedded in this first school that I worked at. And then I became an administrator of. So it was like, we were always talking about a classroom as a community business and then interacting with the other communities, the third grade community with the second grade community. It went really, really well. And your currency was your, you know, your grades, your, you know, your yeah. feedback and everything. But it is, I think a lot of teachers, and I want to get your opinion on this, are kind of cut at the knees from administrators because administrators feel they need to report to the state and that's going to determine their funding. And ultimately it comes down to funding, right? So where a very empowered teacher could come in with all these great ideas, she's immediately, she or he is immediately stopped and being like, well we've got to have these standards met and well, that's nice, but we you only have 30 minutes to teach this one topic. You know, in your experience, where do you see teachers lose their power in their classroom? Yeah. So you're, you're spot on with that too. And here's, there's a couple of things. First of all, there are a lot of, a lot of things that happen during the day, during the week, during the year that are totally out of your control, right? State mandates, school initiatives, faculty meetings, whatever. Mm -hmm. You have choices though, in all of those things is how you decide to show up to all of them, right? Because a standard on a piece of paper can be seen as an obstacle, or it can be seen as something that we can, you know, inherently use in our programming or in our design or how, or your lesson or however you want to do it. But you can also make choices with your feet, so yeah. you're not actually working at a place that feels aligned with the work that you know that you can do in this world. You have the option to leave. And unfortunately, what's happening is there is this major exodus that, that is going on in teaching right now. And instead of looking at it as a way to change policy, everyone's up in arms and complaining about it. I can't believe this is happening, but no one's actually doing anything right. to support this future of education that I don't know what, what people are thinking is going to happen. Like, you know, there's no, people are just going to continue to leave <laughs> like this. Yeah. Unless there's a big revolution here, people are just going to continue to leave. And there are some small areas where people are like exploring like a four day work week or four day work week. They're not, it's not cutting it. This is not what's happening right now. But it, I think it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. We are living in a different world than which schools were first you know, created in the way mm -hmm. that they're, and it's the same model and we are trying to fit. It's that, you know, age old adage of the square peg in the round hole. It's yeah. not working. And I will tell you that during COVID I wear rose colored glasses all the time, unapologetically. And I really thought, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, finally, everything is stopped. Like we shut it down and now people are going to wake up and realize what's good for kids and what's good for teachers and what's good for forward motion and the future and momentum. And what happens? Nothing, nothing, nothing. nothing. And there were like, you know, this is very general because there were places and spaces that did make beautiful pivots to really foster the environments in which there's their communities are living in. And that's great. But in general, nothing happens. Yeah. And yeah. so here we are. And so, you know, my work comes in again is to have everybody in this educational space from the teacher to the custodian, to the administrator, to the school nurse, to the lady who sits at the front desk, 
to feel empowered in their agency to make choices because that's when they're going to use their voice and speak up and then move in whatever direction that feels in alignment to them. I love that. I love it. So you're absolutely right. We all thought this was a great opportunity. You know, if only I had time, if only I had time, if only I had time, I'd clean out my closet. If only I had time, I'd sit down and read all of these books. And then I had all the freaking time in the world. And yet my closet's still a mess, by the way. So it really wasn't time that we needed. Right. You need a value shift. No, Mm -hmm. you need a value shift. And not Mm -hmm. only just a shift of values, getting our moral compass in order as a a society is, is another piece of that. And then taking action. And you know, like the action piece, that's where the rubber meets the road. And and that's when the resistance is going to pop up and all the things that go along with that. It is not easy, yeah. but it can be simple. Yeah. It doesn't act well, you know, we purposely put things in our way to make it difficult and then we blame them. Sure yeah. do. So, mm-hmm. so tell me what's an individual, a, a group of teachers, a, an administrator, what are they feeling before they're like, I need Jen in my life? What's going on with their lives? (laughs) Well, if you are tired, if you are stressed, if you are exhausted, if you are feeling overwhelmed and depleted and burnout, or you feel yourself getting there as an individual or as a culture in your school, it is essential that you reach out and get help because here's the thing, you know, we go into this profession to make a difference, to make an impact. And I really need you, you know, the folks who are listening to ask yourself, what kind of impact can you make if you are feeling depleted, exhausted, frustrated, burned out all the time? You're, you're, you're not, Mm-mm. you're just not. Yeah. And we are normalizing this behavior for our students as they see all of the adults in their lives living like this. And we don't actually have the capacity to hold space for our students, especially when they need us most because we are in self-preservation mode. And so you deserve better and our kids deserve better. So if you are at a place where you are, you know, at the end of your rope, that is emergency time. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. But if you are feeling that that is the direction in which you're heading, let's also cut it off at the knees. (laughs) So we're not even getting to that point because we can't build a future of something that's better if it's coming from a place of this emotional exhaustion. Yeah. Now, you know, typically a teacher, if they know they're going to stay in the career, they have, it's like the first five years is the biggest turnover rate for teachers, the first five years. But maybe if we supported them at the beginning and so they avoided all the burnout and everything, what's kind of your, what's kind of your secret sauce that if we were to support a teacher education program, how could you come in and be like, I'm going to jazz all this up? Oh yeah. First of all, yeah. Love, <laughs> love jazz. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> and disrupting is what we do. That, that is what this is. And, you know, when I have the opportunity to work with a lot of times I, I, I work with like mentor and mentee programs too. And occasionally I'll even go into the colleges and the pre-service programs and talk to our, our tr- teachers in training about, about this too. And the fundamental message that I teach everybody, but I think it's so important for these new teachers to hear is the most generous thing you can do for your students is take care of yourself period. Amen. You know, and I will tell you when I start to work with these baby teachers who are just, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed, I was there too. Right. Yeah. And they really understand that th- their well-being determines the well-being of their classroom. 
that's where the magic happens because that creates their ability to maintain a healthy longevity in this career where they're not 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line thinking to themselves, well, so I only have like 15 more years left until I can retire. Retire. 15 more. I mean, right. And we know who those people are, you know, 10 more years. Are you going to count down 10 more years of your life? Are you kidding me? Is that how you want to spend your life? Is that the environment that you want to you know, show your kids because you can fake it till you make it, but it only takes you so far. The kids see right through that. So if we can really get that message to the new teachers who are coming into this profession, that is the most important thing. And I want to also be clear that I'm not talking about bubble baths and massages and mental health days. What I'm saying is that your ability to be self-aware in your body to self-regulate when you're feeling that nervous system dysregulation, for you to make choices that are in alignment with the highest version of yourself, even when it's hard. That's the stuff that's going to make a difference. Because again, if we start modeling that behavior for our kids, that Carrie is the generational change that I am interested in. That's actually the business that I'm in is generational change. I love, well, you're at the beginning of a renaissance, my friend. I think you should start saying that I'm starting a new renaissance. (laughs) It also, you know, would eliminate the curmudgeon teacher that's been in the classroom and teaching, you know, fractions the same way every year, day after day, and how uninspiring that is truly. And the, I honestly think it's the, you give them a safe place to foster the love of learning and to continue learning beyond what the books tell you, but to be curious and to show that and model that to their students, but also teacher education programs, teaching teachers how to stay curious, how to stay like intrigued and not just being like, well, the book doesn't say that, right? I'm not going to teach that. It's not in the book. Jen, this is really great. So tell me about an empowered educator. You're a speaker, you're an author, you're a mentor, you train things. You know, what would be like your, your, you know, your golden ring? What, who's your, like, you're like, yes, I want to go into New York Unified School District or, you know, like what I want to be, you know, the president's education aide right now. Like what's the brass ring for you? So right now, the brass ring for me is to work with a school district in the most comprehensive way, which means that this is about training, not just your teachers and your administrators, but your paraprofessionals, the support staff, the school nurses, the bus drivers who the kids, that is their first interaction with the school is with the bus driver, you know, getting the bus driver to these trainings, the office staff. So we're talking with a lady who sits at the front desk, who is the Mm -hmm. face of the school district. And then the parents And then when we hit on all of these, these, uh, there are like five sectors of adults, these five stakeholders, that's how we actually change culture. Because so much of what we're doing right now is we're focusing on the kids' social emotional being. And yes, that is a hundred percent important. And we need to do that because they need the skills in order to thrive and survive in this world. But when we leapfrog over the adults in these spaces, we are doing them a huge disservice because we are not creating a universal culture shift or a common language for us to even talk talk about this. Like, yeah, Johnny, it's cool for you to be mad, but you can't express it with your behaviors. So we're going to talk through your anger. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's that's crazy. Right. And so understanding how teachers, you you know, I'll, I'll tell you too, Carrie, it's, this is the thing. It's like, these social emotional learning programs go to all of these teachers. And you think of that curmudgeon teacher that you were just talking about Mm -hmm. teaching her kids empathy, like really 
Yeah. Really? That's ridiculous. You know, Mm -hmm. so we need to be able to shift cultures that way. So my brass ring right now is to go into a school district and work with those five stakeholders of the school ecosystem and then work with kids because that's actually how change is going to happen in in such a faster trajectory than anything else that I think you can do at school. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, we can go on and on about this forever. So I want to definitely honor your time, but really quick, tell us where we can find the book, the name of the book. We're going to put it all in the show notes. So if you're driving your car right now, don't pull over and then click the link, (laughs) but, and the website, tell us all the places we can find you and follow you. Sure. Oh, sure. So the website's probably the easiest. It's empowerededucator.com. If you go to the resources page, there's a couple of cool freebie things on there. You can get a taste of really who I am and what I'm about. The book is specifically for music teachers, but if you just you know, take out the word music teacher and put in whatever it is you do. <laughs> it's completely relevant for you. And also, you know, the, the podcast is a beautiful way to get to know a little bit more about what Empowered Educator is about. And the podcast is Take Notes with Jen Rafferty. I love the podcast name too. That's very, very cool. Very cool. Nice. Thank you. Now, before we go, we got to get carried away. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So first I want to know one, one or two things that you always get carried away about, you know, is it dogs? Is it, you know, pizza with pineapple? You know, what's something you just absolutely are obsessed with? So uh, I actually have a problem with, with buying books. Like this is probably the nerdiest <laughs> answer, but like I can't help myself. I've run out of real estate in my house. I, I love learning. I love new books and they're not all nonfiction. Like I actually love a really good fiction novel, but I, I have books everywhere because I just, they make me so happy, Carrie. <laughs> I just, What's your favorite, was, you know, like genre of book, like fiction, if you had to have, pick a fiction book. So, and this is kind of unusual too. And I, I, I used to be embarrassed to tell people about this, but I actually love fantasy books. Oh, which okay. Is, which is something that I, I never would have thought that I would have said, especially in like a public forum like this, but I'm being really honest. Yeah. My, one of my favorite book series is the King Killer Chronicles and the name of the wind. It is just brilliant writing and, and really anything that has brilliant writing. And yeah. this particular author has brilliant writing. The Starless Sea is another one of my favorite books. I I get carried away about those. Oh, those I love that. I yeah. love that. Nobody's yeah. ever had that answer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I like immersing myself in, I don't know, new worlds. And I'm such a literal, like my job is so academic. And so everything, it's like facts and metrics and numbers and writing and data and data. And I love it. I will nerd out about that, but like getting lost in like a different world with beautiful writing just does something to my brain that tickles it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's a good answer. Yay. Yeah. I definitely, I, ju- I actually, my secret favorite types of books are YA. I'm not going to lie. You know, I love a good I YA. Love, I, I, I love can, a good YA book that too. I, can I really right do. Through like 150 pages. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And they're usually like, like deep, good stories. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when the Hunger Games first came out, my, oh, yes. one of my dear friends is a sixth grade English teacher. And she's like, Jen, these Hunger Game books, they're outstanding. And so I, you know, remember her even. So yes, those YA books, totally. I am yeah. on board with you with that. Yes, totally into it. And mm-hmm. if it's a YA that's also like post-apocalyptic, I'm in. I don't yeah. know why I love anything post-apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm totally with you there. Yeah, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Okay, now the other other side of that coin is what's something that, you know, people get 
totally obsessed about, totally carried away about that you can't really wrap your head around. For me, I never watched one episode of Grey's Anatomy and I can't stand olives at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. More for me, more olives for me. That is fine. (laughs) Yes, please. All the olives. I'll tell you running. I like, I don't get it. I don't get it. People like love it. And I just, I don't understand. I, I mean, I'll go for a walk, but like nothing more than like a fast pace. Unless you're being chased. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But like that, when does that ever happen? But like, no, that's never, never running. No, ever, never. And I don't understand people like they love it. They love, love it. Oh yeah. So, you know, I love that journey for them. That's wonderful. I will cheer you on on the sides. <laughs> Eating olives. <laughs> Eating olives. Eating yeah. Carrie's olives. <laughs> Love that. Do you have anything else? Uh, honestly, I think all of that kind of goes into that category. Like that's that's the one for me that I really just don't. I just yeah. don't understand. Yeah. Don't get it. I get it. I get it. I don't have the knees for running anymore. So Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I'd rather take a nice walk, maybe go to a boxing class, dance class, but like running the distance, I'm good. Yeah, no, I can get behind dancing or like Zumba. Oh, I love Zumba. (laughs) I could do a Zumba. Mm -hmm. Yeah, running, not even on a treadmill. Bike, I could do a bike. But yeah, I could do a bike. Bike's fun. I yeah, like scenery. Fun. I like hiking. Right. What about hiking? Yeah. How do you feel yeah. about hiking? Oh, I love, well, I live in central New York. So hiking oh. is like a really big part. I mean, there's gorgeous waterfalls around here and gorges. You can kind of go. At. I I do love hiking, but that also does not require running. No, I don't mind sweating. Sweating's fine. That feels good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, running is just, uh, okay. eh. mm. nobody's ever had that answer either. So okay, that's I'm the so first. Glad. We had a lot of firsts here in our yeah. second episode of season three. Love Jen, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jen. We're going to put all the places and all the all the ways to get a hold of you in the show notes, as well as when we put this on YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, follow, share it with your mom, your fellow friend that's a teacher who's struggling right now. Send her this link. Believe me, she will thank you for it. And please follow along Jen's journey at her website, empowereducator.com. What's your handle on social so we can follow you there too? Sure. It's at Jen Rafferty underscore. Okay. At Jen Rafferty underscore. Love it. Thank you so much, Jen, for getting carried away with me. Thank you so much for having me. 